and uh, to confirm, we are now both devoted atheists. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Black and White FPL podcast. Game week one is done and dusted. It's in the can. One out of 38. Dunzo. Some had good weeks, some had bad. But we're going to recap it all today. Look forward to game week two. Hope that we can continue. If you had a good week and if you had a bad week in bounce back, simple as. For me personally... I think I had a pretty decent start. It was a uh, 75 points for me, and it was a massive 87 for Miller. It was a really good start for him. If you're wondering why he's not here, uh, it's because he is currently in Australia, the lucky bastard. So he is a uh, chilling down in the land of Oz, while uh, I'm here grinding away. Obviously, I'm not going to make him record when he's about 12 hours in front or behind or whatever. Fuck knows for time zones, but. Aye, he's doing there, but uh, yeah, East, he gets the upper hand of me so far, so yeah. Um, but a very solid start for both, in my opinion. I'm very, very satisfied with 75 points. Uh, my returns personally, coming from Ramsdale and Goal 6, James 7, Cancelo 7, Saka with 6, Salah 24, uh, Wilson with 6, Hunt Holland with 13, and obviously did not go with Gabriel Jesus, Mia Milad, Neve. Me and Miller did not. Both didn't go for him, and that blank was just a. Uh, it w- it was it was a good moment. It was a good moment. Let me just say that now, and uh, to confirm, we are now both devoted atheists. Um, there is no god. <laughs> um, just kidding, just kidding. Uh, we respect all religions. <laughs> if we had to preface that, so yeah, um, a very solid start. Not as not as good as my. As last seasons, but um, obviously we didn't have the um the Bruno and the Bruno hat trick to fall back on as well to to bump us up a bit higher. But yeah, seventy five, we take those. So yeah, what we're going to be going over today, or what I'm going to be going over today, obviously Miller's not here. I can't really have a fluid conversation with myself. So what I'm going to be doing, I've picked out um some questions and some things that I do want to highlight over the week. Um, that I think on the minds of a lot of people. I just want to try and, um, what is it, sort of just target what I think people are thinking. You know, what's, what's everyone planning on doing? What's everyone curious about? And we're going to start off by just looking at some of the players that caught my eye personally this week. Um, so starting off with the keepers, I've highlighted three, uh, mainly just from the eye test standpoint. Um, that I do think uh, had had good games, and that's Jose Saw, um, Dean Henderson, and Elan Melier. So Saw and Melier, I both I both thought looked good, um, in in that game, uh, the Leeds versus Wolves game. Obviously, Leeds coming away two one winners, eventually. Um, Saw, I just think looked like Saw again. Um, I think I was I was curious to see if he was going to continue with the with the same quality that he had last season. He certainly will. He certainly will. He looks. He looks raring to go again. Um, he made some good. He made some really good saves. That save at the end was excellent. But um, no, he's a t- he's a top top keeper. Jose Sar and well, he is fa- he, again. He is five million this season, which um obviously is fair considering he did start at five last season as well. 
so yeah, I think again he he's going to be a good option this season. I think if Wolves can be as good defensively as they were at points last season, so yeah. But Melier also surprised me. I saw a stat uh, saying that after just seventy, I think it's seventy-two games, he's already in the top fifty keepers of all time for saves in the Premier League, which is crazy when you think about his age and literally just how long he's been there. Like, it's mental. So, yeah, I think he looked really, really good as well. He's definitely improved. Um, he's looking like the Melier of of old from two seasons ago when Leeds were just uh, Leeds were just amazing under Bielsa on in that era. So yeah, I think I think Melier again. Melier looks like he's improved as a keeper over the summer break. Um, and yeah, I think it's I think it could be an exciting time for Leeds. Their new sounds do look like they've they're fitting quite well. Marsh looks like he's done a lot of a lot of work off the pitch with them. And as a whole, I think their team is looking pretty pretty well shaping up for the season ahead. So yeah, I might have underestimated them a bit in my league predictions. Seventeen might have been a bit of a bit of a disservice to them, to be quite honest. Uh, and then finally, Dean Henderson obviously uh, suffered a two 0 loss against Newcastle in a dominating victory by the Jolly Boys. Um, Henderson, though, I think he, he just ha- he just had his work cut out for him, and I think to to go that entire first half without conceding a goal, he did a really good job. He did a really, really good job. Seven saves in total. So, yeah, a uh, couple of save points for him, if that's what you're looking for. I don't think this is a true representation of Nottingham Forest defence. Um, we did look we did look really good, and Howe did find a really good way to split them open. But, again, I do think Steve Cooper will be able to, will be able to make these a lot better defensively because... You can't go through a full Premier League season with a defence like that, and you can't be putting that much pressure on your on your keeper like that for the whole season. So, whilst it is like this, I do think Henderson can cope with the pressure. However, I think there'll be less work for him to do as the season goes on. But it's nice to know that when the chips are down, Henderson still has the quality to keep his team in a game, and that's what he did for most of that game. Um, so yeah, credit to him where it's due. I do think he's. I do still think he's a good option. Uh, in goals four point five because I do. I do still think he's a really, really good keeper, and he does deserve a, a, a move away from Man United. So yeah, those are the keepers. Moving on to the defenders. Um, Kieran Trippier and Fabian Shaw both had very, very good games again. Trippier just looked just like quality, not a fertile place again. I've got to feel sneeze coming on here. Maybe. Ooh, bless me. Oh, wow, early morning wake ups. Um, yeah, Trippier just looking very good again, just professional, top quality. It's what you'd expect from a right back of his class. Evan Fabian Shaw, talk to me about that goal, man. Talk to me. Just that 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 kid can hit a ball, can't he? Wow. Like you know, you think you think back to centre backs that can you know you know you think back to people like Alex and David Luiz. You know, them centre halves who just had an absolute rifle in them. Fabian Shaw, man, he, he, is he one of them? Could you really put him in that same breath? Yeah, I think you might have to. I think you might have to with goals like that. Um, yeah, no, he looked really, really good, and I do think in the future he'll be the uh, centre back partner with Sven Botman. Um, I see Botman and Burn as very, very similar centre halves. You know, command and big, uh, can throw their weight around both left footed. 
and I think they both complement Shaw very very well because Shaw's he's really good at he's really good at his feet. Um, obviously he can let he can let one off. He's very offensive, and um, he's very mobile on the ball. He's very composed. So yeah, I think having someone like that next to him really just complements him well. I think uh, How has found him a really really good centre half partner to be quite honest. So yeah, those two I'd keep my eye on. Uh, Ryan Sessegnon as well, I think needs a needs a mention. He had a really really good game against Southampton. He looked excellent. Um, he's really struggled to find his footing at the top level. I think if you remember back to 2018 when he was at Fulham in the Championship, he had a really really good season. One, I think it was I think it was Young Player of the Year. It might have been it might have been just Player of the Year. I'm not too sure though. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he definitely won some sort of award uh, when Fulham had that great season in the Championship, uh, and he looked really really good. Went to Spurs. He hasn't really had time to prove himself, but now if he does, um, if he if he can kick on, he can he can be seeing a lot more minutes, even with Perisic, uh, in the free now. And if there's anyone to develop, Ryan says, you know, it should be Antonio Conte because the things he can do to that wing back position is is brilliant. Like you know, if, if you got Ryan Sessegnon and Emerson Royal doing this sort of stuff, like what are you gonna do with? Doherty and Perisic when they're starting. I mean, that's just an FPL player's dream, isn't it? Isn't that? So yeah, um, from an eye test standpoint, I mean, he looked he looked really really solid, and obviously he got that goal as well. So anyone who did punt on him, uh, hats off to you. Um, another left back, uh, Ben Shilwell. Uh, we are actually just ended on all left sided players. Actually, I just realised Ben Shilwell. A uh, lot of questions about the fitness on his standpoint. I think from a lot of people, I think they were curious. You know, is he really going to make? Is he really going to make the 60-minute mark? Is he even going to start? Uh, but he did start. He won the penalty, if I'm right in saying. And again, fitness-wise, he looks good. He looks round to go, um, which is nice to see because Chilwell, I do think, is a, a top centre-half left-back on his day. I do think he's a really, really good left-back. And very unlucky for him to get injured in the Champions League when he did because he, really he was really on a roll. And I think if Chelsea kept him fit for longer, they would have just looked so much better. Last season, and when he's playing in that team, they obviously, he obviously do look better. Um, he's re- he's re- he's top quality as Ben Shilwell, so yeah, um, big ups to him. Uh, you know, he's, he's you know awful injury took him a while to get back, but uh, he's back now and he he's back for good. Trust me, if he can stay fit this season, he is truly on my radar. That Chelsea double up is something that you're always going to be looking at. Um, just the potential of those attacking returns, man. They could come in in abundance with those two. Um, Leandro Trossard I'm grouping with defenders because he did play a left wing back position now Man United as a whole I'm going to get on to um, as as we get further into the podcast because I do want to discuss their game from a tactical standpoint and just talk about where it went so wrong and almost have a almost have a rant at Man United um, just because I was clueless to how they played so bad um, on Sunday but Brighton played excellent honestly Potter really did suss them out and showed up Ten Hag and and really said to him, like, mate, this is the Premier League, you can't just come in here, I think, and you have a dog's bollocks. And Trossard was really, really good. Um, deployed as a left wing back, he was deployed there a few times in pre-season, scored a hat-trick from there in the last pre-season game. And he looked really comfortable, really did. Um, obviously, he has played as a winger for literally his entire career. So, bombing forward was obviously going to be something that he was good at. And I think... Making him a wing back is something that it's it's really smart from Potter in my opinion, 
because you've already got someone with the intact with the attacking initiative uh, like Trossard and teaching him the ways of defending which you know he's, he already wasn't terrible at but teaching him the ways of that to make him a really really good modern wing back would be would be brilliant because the way he was attacking was was excellent honestly just he was he was on Dalu like a rash he did not know how to deal with him and he was always sort of drifting inside as well sort of target for center halves who again did not look amazing that game so yeah his his game plan was really really smart trust on and I really liked how he played um against uh, against Man United one of the just one of the many players who stood out on that pitch for me in that game and then finally, uh, the man who showed up on Friday and who really caught my eyes, Inchenko. His position very, very interesting. He was really, really high up the pitch, even though he was playing left back. He was not a midfield of his game, uh, but he looked great. He looked really, really good. Like proper solid. Obviously, got the assist. He had a great chance as well in the first half, where just Arsenal were just piling on that pressure, just constantly going for that goal. Um, Arteta really had a good game plan for this one. He he knew what he was doing, you know, and the fact that Sellers Park apologies about that notifications on, wow, um, and the fact that Sellers Park, um, you know, such a hostile place, such a hard place to go in the Premier League, especially on the first day under the lights as well. I mean, not really, but um, probably still fucking light out when the game was starting, but um, yeah, such a hard place to go, like especially on the first day of the season, and he just rocked them. He just absolutely rocked him. So, you know what? Fair play to Arteta. Really, really good start for them. And Zinchenko, definitely the highlight uh, from an FPL standpoint. Moving on, though. Let's keep it going with the midfielders that I think have, um, I think caught me eye. Uh, starting off, Pascal Gross. 15 points, obviously. A cheap midfield has been the issue so far, obviously. Leon Bailey and Pedro Neto both blanking in the f- opening fixtures, which... Is fair considering what I'm paying for them, but you know you'd you'd hope for something, wouldn't you? You'd you know just as a little cherry on top. But uh, Pascal Gross, five point five million, two goals. What we're saying? I mean, if he gets the minutes, you know, Gross has always been a very solid player for Brighton. I think he's just a player who's really he's he's ticked along well when he started, and he's been consistently solid for these lot. You know, for how far however long he's been in the Premier League, obviously he loves a goal against Man United as well, two against them, uh, to add to the six I think he already scored prior to that game. Like he, he's a he's a very, very solid player. Underrated almost. And you know what, I'd think he he's got he's got set pieces in him as well. I don't think he was on them this game, but he he does have I'm pretty sure he does have set he he can take set pieces. But um no at five point five million if we're if we're looking for alternatives to Bailey and Neto and he's consistently getting the minutes this season. He could be he could be an option. He could be an option certainly. So yeah, just keep an eye on him if the minutes are still good and the performances are keeping up. Uh Bruno Gimares, again I just thought looked excellent against uh Nottingham Forest. A lot of people had doubts were over his attack and potential this season and I think that shouldn't be an issue. From a creative standpoint he looked excellent. Some of the passes he was making, um, just finding players like Almiron and St. Maximin in behind were brilliant. And it can be a bit contradictory because Almiron and St. Maximin do like to take players on, and you know sometimes that can result in losing the ball a lot. So it kind of puts, you know, kind of undoes Bruno's Bruno's great work. But no, like some of the passes he was making were just superb. And again, he was getting high up, even though he was sort of sitting deep at points as well. But he was getting high up at points. 
and when he's allowed to express himself, that's when he can really shine and bring your points in. So at six million, I do still think there is room for Bruno to get attacking returns this season, and double-digit assists would not surprise me at all this season. He looks, he looks rare to go, man. He is just a wow. He's amazing. <laughs> um, Brendan Aronson and Jack Harrison. Again, I'm going to group these together. Booth did not get returns. Aronson, obviously very, very unlucky not to get a return um, after that eight new year goal. But both look really good. Both look lively, fast, um, darn at the defenders. Like sort of, sort of like they were sort of like they would be under Bielsa in a way. But um, yeah, Harrison looking back to his best. He was a player who didn't look amazing. Uh, at the back end of the Bielsa era, whether that was morale or he just wasn't playing as good as he used to, who knows? But no, uh, Sh- Marsh looks like see Marsh looks like he got he's gotten back to his best at some points, and Aronson looks like he, he's he's took a duck to water. He's took like a duck to water in the in the Premier League. Seriously, looking like the business. Obviously, played under Marsh at Salzburg. And, um, yeah, really, really exciting player. Only 5.5 million again. It's another alternative to Neto and Bailey if you are looking at movies on at certain points. Uh, what are movies on right now to answer those questions? I, I don't think I would. No, don't make that move just yet. Uh, Martinelli, next up. Um, again, got himself that goal. A lot of people are saying, oh, is it worth having Saka when Martinelli's there for six million? I think so. Um I do think Saka has the higher season. I do think he's the better player. But I mean if Martinelli's getting if Martinelli can keep these goals up, I really wouldn't rule out the Arsenal triple up. Obviously I've already got pardon me. Obviously I've already got already got Saka and Ramsdale, so making room for Martinelli would be nice. Obviously it would block me from going to Jesus, which is the big thing, but yeah, man, if Martinelli can keep if Martinelli can keep going, then you know what? I don't see why not at six million. And finally, Moises Saicedo again, more eye test sort of stuff with his bloke. Um, he just looked very comfortable, really, really comfortable. Young lad, centre mid, looked really, really commanding. He just looked comfortable on the ball. He, when he had space, he'd move into it. Um, his passing looked really good, and sort of just what we saw from the back end of the season, more more of the same really. Um, he looks a really exciting player. Honestly, Brighton fans need to be excited about these young lads coming through. Sarmiento, Encisco, Saicedo, all these fellas. Uh, via, you know, especially this lad because he looks he looks really really he looks really really good. And then finally, we're going to go on to the strikers just for two uh, that I'm going to talk about um, because I've got I'm going to go I'm going to probably go in depth on. He's actually no. We'll just talk about Jesus now. Fuck it. Gabriel Jesus. He looked good, didn't he? He looked good. Very unlucky not to get a return. Um, obviously, you know he is he is our false prophet now. Um, the devoted atheists from Black and White FPL have spoken. Like we said, there is no god. Believe us. <laughs> um, but yeah, he looked really really good. Looked um amazing from a creative standpoint as well. I think. Um, especially you know set up Martinelli, set up Odegaard. Probably could have a couple of assists, but yeah, attacking the goal and taking on players, he looked really, really good. So yeah, I wouldn't go cold on him just yet. Don't don't remove him because you know he's got he's got Bournemouth gaming free, and he's got a solid fixture coming up this week. So yeah, just 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 hold your horses, steady steady on before you make any rash decisions. Uh, Mitrovic, who expected him to get two goals? Eh, 
I'll tell you what, he he looked very, very good against um he looked very, very good against um Liverpool. You know, finishing is for finishing his top draw. The finishing top draw. If you make them chances for him, he will put them in the back of the net. And with players like Andreas, I think it just makes it makes them even more attractive if they weren't already at four point five million. And, you know, maybe you could even give the, the full backs a look in. Uh, Robinson and Teddy, if you really want to. But, yeah, Mitrovic, two goals. He's going to get goals this season. And if the form is there, I think he could be a consistent member in a lot of people's teams. And then finally, Erling Haaland as well. He's he's an, he's arrived, baby. He's arrived two goals already. And... He is just freakishly good, honestly. He is. He shouldn't be that fast for his build. He should not be that fast for how big he is. The lad's a freak. The lad is a freak in the best way possible. Um, just composed in front of goal. The two finishes just looked like... If it looked robotic almost, the way he scored them. <laughs> Seriously. Um, second goal just stroked it home. The penalty just looked calm. Composed. Hard and low. Just, just how you like him. And... Um, and I, City, you've City, you've got a hands on one of the best in the world, and that's absolutely no doubt about it. And we're gonna we're gonna move on to him in just a moment. So obviously, if you didn't have Holland, people are gonna feel a little bit hard done by. Obviously, missing out on that thirteen points, and if you didn't start with him, you probably started with Kane. Eleven point difference, and it brings you on to my to my main to one of the burning questions that a lot of people are thinking about: whether to rule or not to rule. And in my opinion, I think the only reason that you shouldn't rule is to do Kane to Haaland. Obviously, if you don't have money in the bank, it will be a hit. However, I think that might. I think it could be worth it. I think I still think it could be worth it. It's just whether you're willing to take that risk or not. Um, another point on that is whether it's worth going aggressive and going and really attacking that city fixture. Um, that being the main one, you know, a lot of people do have two City right now, whether that be Walker and Haaland, Cancelo, Mares, um, Greenish, people like that, whether it be players like that. And it's whether you actually decide to go for a third City, you know, because I could easily go Saka to Foden if I wanted to and really try to attack that Bournemouth fixture. However, I believe that unless you're doing Kane to Haaland, ruling is easily the best option. I think having those two transfers, for me at least, having those two transfers is just such a powerful position to be in, especially at game week three when people have already identified this one as a bit of an iffy one for fixtures. Having that flexibility to rearrange your team almost with no hits, I think is a really, really good position to be in. So in my opinion, if you've already got Haaland, uh, rule it for this week. Uh, that will be my two cents on that one. Uh, another player that I do want to pick up on, actually, one that I did not uh, mention in the player highlights one. Just going to touch on him now. Darwin Nunez. Nunez. <laughs> Why the fuck did I say that? Wow. Nunez. Wow. Um, kind of fitting, actually, what we're talking about after Hall, and obviously a lot of people have been drawing similarities between them, uh, just from a transfer standpoint. I mean, off the bench again, looking good. I think he he needs to start, man. He needs to start because he's going to get goals for these. Let's be real. Um, again, like this bloke is just rapid for his height. Like he is, he's like six foot two. The bloke is rapid, like seriously fast. Um, 
But again, he's a certified bagsman in this book. Let's be let's let's not let's not take the piss. He will know where to go he knows where a goal is and he will get goals this season. As much as you don't want to believe it. Even for his price, like he's gonna he's gonna get these lock goals. And I think from an FPL point, um Darwin versus Diaz could be the real debate. And people are thinking about you know, people may just go fully cooled on on Robertson at some point and want to move towards the attackers. But then you've got to be thinking like, ooh, who do I really want now? Is it Darwin or is it Diaz? And that'll be it'll be interesting because Darwin's someone I really do want to own this season at some points. Um to to captain him would be would be bold if you've still got Salah, which I do think I'll have for literally the majority of the season. So it'll be hard to shy away from him. But having him alongside him will be a it it would be a nice it would be a luxury to have that to be quite honest. So yeah, and I do and just from early signs, his end product is looking a little bit better than Diaz. Diaz obviously he looks more he looks more creative and agile, fluid, expressive, all the words that you want to describe a um you know a modern winger. Um, but you know if Darwin knows how to goal is and he's popping him in, I see no reason to go with. Diaz over him to be quite honest so yeah um, Darwin looking very good as well now let's move on to couple of players that caught my eye for the wrong reason and that is uh, Matty Cash and Luca Digne now Cash and Digne Digne more so um, over time have been identified as, as fullback with good attacking potential and do I think they have that yes I do think they have that and I've shown it at some points However, are they a bit of a farce or not? Now, I just want to read you these stats out. So these were for um, crosses attempted in the game against Bournemouth. Matty Cash, one cross completed out of six. Luca Digne, two crosses completed out of eight. That's a total of three out of 14. That's not good enough. That's not good enough, let's be real here. I think Digne has always been falling off. I think he's not as good as he used to be. Let's be let's be real here. Dinier isn't going to get you eight assists this season anymore. I don't think. I just think personally, I don't think he is. He's good enough creatively anymore. And Matty Cash, I think people have been looking at through rose-tinted glasses. I mean, people remember a lot of the big holes that he got last season. They came at very very sporadic points, and I don't think his attacking is attacking. Potential is as good as some of the five mils that we've got, likes in Chenko and Trippier, who I do think are better options right now. Whilst the fixtures are good for these lot, is there better players on paper than these? A hundred percent. So it's really down to you to to make that call. Whether you think that the fixtures are good enough on these lot, or you want to make that jump and move to someone who I personally believe is better offensively, but may have a worse fixture coming up. Um, if I was to pick, if I was to pick, if I was to pick Zinchenko and Trippier over these two, I think I'd 100% take the former. To be quite honest, um, no biases at all. By the way, um, fully just going off uh, stats and what I've seen from these two and what I've seen from the other two as well. To be quite honest, so yeah, um, that's just my that's just my take on those. But obviously, you know, it's early doors. Um, but it was just a just a point that I wanted to make from that Bournemouth game because Villa just did did look a bit off the boil in that one. So yeah, um, I think all managers will be hoping that they can pick up because they do have some good assets in their team. Right, so I think I'm going to end this podcast on 
more of a real a real life outlook on um on football not really looking too much into FPL but I mean I'll obviously touch on it at parts when I can um but I'm going to be looking at um first of all some real life transfers that I might that are going on and some rumors that have been surfacing so mainly on the rumors side um we're going to Man United who have been looking at just just braces of these I'm sure you've heard but Adriano Rabiot and Marco Arnautovic, like, oh my god. I, has Ten Hag lost a plot already? I'm I'm curious, I'm curious. Um, Scott McTominay, one of the biggest problems right now at Man United. You know, what do they decide to go and do? Try and send another Scott McTominay. Arguably a worse one. We are well past the years. That Adrian Rabiot can was considered a wonder kid, and he's not lived up that potential not at all. He's won a lot of trophies in his career. Let's be real here, you know a lot of lot of trophies at PSG. Um, he's won them at Juventus, but he's done absolutely nothing noteworthy. Um, that will make him a truly top top centre mid in his career. Let's be fair here. He's got France caps, yeah, but right now he's not good. He he's not good enough for the Premier League. Let's be. Let's. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say it right now. I don't think he's good enough. Just look. I mean, just looking at the looking at the stats, though, like they're incredibly similar to to Scott McTominay where it matters. What like it? It really does confuse me. And Arnautovic is another one, which really does again baffle me. You got a man who left for China a few years ago. He's went to Milan, and. Again, he's not he's not really done anything noteworthy as he since. He was he was good at Stoke. He was all right at West Ham, but if you think you can cut it in the Premier League again, I'd, I'd, again I think you're I think you're deluded. Like I don't think there's any way that this man can is good enough for the Premier League at the moment, especially not for especially not for Man United. No way, no way. If you told us someone was looking at these looking at these players, I would have thought like, are you on about Southampton, Everton? Like is is that who is that is that the team looking at these players? No, it's Man United. It's Man fucking United. What? I'm 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 clueless to why they're going for these sort of players and st- and even then still positioning with um, De Jong, which is just again the dumbest transfer saga so far that we've seen. Um, here again, it's just not the player that we need as well. It really isn't. Um, Let's talk about a player that is needed though for a club and that I'm very, very impressed with um, his, his went to this club. Connor Cody has made the move from Wolves to Everton. Now, the fact that we've got Wolves as captain, just to jump ship like that, I know it's only on loan, but still, I think it's a great move. I think it's a really, really good move. I'm, I've got to take my hat off the Lampard for this one. This could be the move that keeps them up. It really could be. Because Cody's an excellent centre half. Just from he, he knows he knows how to get a job done. He he does. He's a top centre half, and I think filling in with Mina and Tarkowski, I think you've got a really really solid back three there. And it's just down to Lampard now to get them well drilled and make sure you can shear it, shear it up at the back, so Pickford isn't just getting bombarded with shots again. So yeah, I do think Connor Cody's a great a great great signing for these lot. And like I said, he could keep him up, to be quite honest. Reluctantly saying that, because I did predict these to go down. Um, and then finally, uh, Wolves are both on the ingoings and outgoings side 
of the of this tra- of this transfer window. So um, Gonzalo Guedes is the man they've brought in. He's not a player that I've watched too much of, but he's a player that I've I've heard of um, for for some years now. Um, obviously, a lot of time at PSG, he played a bit at PSG. Um, a lot of time at Valencia, caps for Portugal as well. And plays on the left-hand side, so maybe this could spell the early end for Pedro Neto or Daniel Pudens, who knows. But he can also play up front as well. He has played as a striker a few times in his career. So whether he's deployed there, I mean, obviously we're desperate for a striker. <laughs> we are desperate for one. So whether this means Geddes will be striker or maybe Neto will move into the nine or Huang will stay there and Neto stays on the left and Geddes on the right. Who knows, that's down to large. But, um, yeah, I think he, I think we need some quality. And I think Geddes is... It's definitely quality. It's definitely quality. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a step in the right direction for these lot. And then Morgan gives white to Nottingham Forest is... I mean, this might baffle us more than um, Rabiot on, on, on Arnautovic. Apparently, Forest have upped their, have upped their bid to... Brace yourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Forty million Great British pounds for Morgan Gibbs, fucking White. Excuse me. Like I'm, he's not forty million. He's not forty million. If he's forty million, John Joe Shelby's sixty. There's not a chance. One good season of a championship and forty million. Not not in a million years. Not in a million. They're getting bumped for that. I mean, whoever whoever is the agent officiating that, give him the forty million pounds because he fucking deserves it. Because that is an outrageous price for him, in my opinion. Like, he's not worth that. He's not worth that. Um, however, I do think it'll it'll improve um, Nottingham Forest. Obviously, he can play as a, he can play behind the strikers. I say strikers because Forest actually deployed a front two with Sam Surridge and uh, it was it Brent Johnson at the weekend. He can play behind the strikers, but he can also play a little bit, um, a little bit deeper as like a centre mid, box to box sort of player. So whether that means he plays in a sort of pivot with um, Callback, where he has Callback sitting, and you, well, you might have Callback sitting, and you've got Gibbs White sort of bowing back and forward, almost, you know, drop dropping in the points as a maybe second defensive mid or maybe coming forward and playing alongside Lingard as well and just try to link up with him. Whether we'll see that, who knows. But, um, yeah, like I said, I think you'll improve the squad, but for that price, you could definitely get better, in my opinion. So, my final point from this podcast, or my final the final segment, almost, I should say, is, like I mentioned, may, may be a bit of a rant, almost, or a dissection of how bad Man United were tactically. And just, even, for, even from just a basic football just even just from just a basic footballing level against Brighton. And you might wonder why I would be passionate about something like this. And it's because I mean, growing up, especially people my age around like, you know, twenty, nineteen, around this around that sort of age, you know, growing up and even even younger or older, Man United was V team. It was V team. You know, like as a kid, you would think like Man United, they are, you know, they're the best. They're the best, aren't they? And as much as it, you know, I wouldn't say it's disappointing to me. It's more interesting the way that they've fallen over the past 
seven, eight years. And, you know, we're coming up now to literally like a decade of where Man United started to really decline, like when Alex, Sir Alex left and Moyes came in and just all started to crumble under our feet. You know, the, the loss of the greatest asset. And it's really intriguing to see how we've, how we've changed over the years. And the fact that Ten Hogs came in, he was announced before the season that he even finished. He's had about three to four months to sort his team out, get the players in. It looks exactly the same to what it was under Ranić and Oli. It doesn't look good at all. It does not look good. The amount of preparation that must have went into this was must have been crazy. Just to get turned over in your own backyard by a manager who looks levels above you and a team that looked levels above you. So I'm literally just going to go player by player and just just really just really dig into them and just just and just just try to comprehend why they were so bad. So I mean, David De Gea, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't our goal where you're thinking this blo- where he was literally in like best in the world conversation. Like he was so good. Now it's just all down the pan. The only thing this bloke can do is save shots. And literally every single other keeper in the Premier League can do that. He sticks to his line. He doesn't command his box. He is one of the worst keepers I've ever seen with a ball at his feet. Like, I've never... I'm sorry, I don't think I've seen so many clips. It's getting it's getting to the point where every single week I'm seeing a clip of De Gea with the ball at his feet, dawdling for about 10 seconds when he's got players to pass onto or he's got a chance to go along. He allows a player to run onto him and he just boots it out of play for an opposition throwing, normally in his own defensive third. It blows my mind. I don't get how a, how a keeper that experience can be so bad with a ball at his feet. He looks like a, he just looks like an old man who's never kicked a ball for about fifty year. It like really is clueless. And like I said, the only thing he can do now is save shots, which every other keeper in the Premier League can do. He's got nothing else to his game nowadays. He really doesn't. And as a modern keeper, you need to do more than that. Like uh, again, there's so many keepers who are better better than them right now. Like, honestly, Nick Pope. Nick Pope and Dubravka, literally both better at the moment. Swear to God. I swear to God. Who was he saw? Dean Henderson, I would argue, is literally better. All of the other tops, all of the other top six keepers, better. It's it's really, it's really not good. It's really not good. Especially for the level that he was at just a few years ago. Diogo Dallo is, again, a player who just isn't good enough. Like, again, there was points where I was thinking, you know what, is this bloke improving last season? There was points where I was thinking that. Is he coming into his own skin? Not at all. 20 seconds into the game, he's getting pressed by Trossard from wing-back. Literally, from the other side of the pitch, he's ran across, pressed him, nearly scored. 20 seconds in, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. How do you do that as a defender? How can you How can you just sleep at night knowing that you've just done that in front of your home crowd? Again, like another player who just is not good enough, and like there's some players in this team who have have got world class qualities in them, and have, and you know I can see like there's a world class player in here. Players like Rashford and Sancho and Bruno. There's players who I can say that about Dallo. I I don't I don't even know if there's an above average in them. Like seriously, and the fact of saying Malaysia, who is unproven, he's young, 
he's one for the future. They've essentially just signed another Diogo Dallo. That's not of a need. They need someone for now and not for the future. So yeah, it's baffling, man. It's baffling. Because if you're going to last a full season with him, God God help you. Because if you don't want to put faith in Juan Bissaka, then, you know, joke's on you. Because Juan Bissaka is literally, he is probably a better right back than, than Dallo, to be quite honest. Centre horse. Deary me, deary, deary me. Trying to play Harry Maguire in a high line is like putting a ball of tin foil in your microwave. It's not going to end well. This man, he he's not mobile enough to play in a high line. Like surely, surely, like every other manager prior who's tried to do this, Oli, Ranjik, and now Ten Hag should realise this man literally can't move. It's like <laughs> it's step one as a human, never mind a footballer, to to move. Like this this man is this man is a mobile. You literally you've literally got one of the most truck like centre halves in the Premier League trying to play on, on the halfway line, getting blitzed by Danny Welbeck. It's not gonna work. And when you're pairing up a five foot eight Lisandro Martinez next to him, who is just having to try and do all the running, it, again it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work. The dynamic isn't there. Like what you need, what you need to do with Harry Maguire, you need to have him sitting and almost allowing the pressure onto him, so he can tackle the defenders at his own pace. He needs to control the pace of the, he needs to control the flow of the opposition's to tackle almost, and win the ball back on his own accord because that's what he's good at: winning headers, winning tackles when it's in di- when it's in deep, not playing off the, not playing high up and trying to advance the ball forward on the halfway line. That's not him. That's not him. I think people need to understand that. Um, call it call it a system, but I mean, why does he work so well in England? Because Southgate knows how to use him. And the style that England play, it works so much for him. Man United, though, it's not the one. It's not the one. And speaking of Lisandro, I mean, mate, welcome to the Premier League, because that was not good enough for a debut. Simple as. Simple as. Call it first game jitters, or, you know, oh, it takes time for it again. That wasn't good enough. Simple as. You've gassed you've people have gassed him up so much. People have gassed him up so much. I've seen Man United fans rave about this bloke. I've seen some I've seen some TikToks saying that he's better than Matip, Laporte, Gabriel. Not a chance. Not after that game. Not a chance. Is he better than these lot? Levels below them. That was not good enough. For a player who's apparently composed with the ball at his feet. And he's he's agile. He's good. He's good at he's good at uh, playing out from the back. He didn't look any of those. He looked composed at some points. To be fair, he did look he did look relatively comfortable on the ball. But I mean, you'd fucking hope so, considering that's all you've talked about taught him up for. But this lad, he just didn't look he didn't look good enough. He didn't look good enough. Simple as. So I think it will come with time. But again, just wasn't really just just wasn't really doing it for me. Luke Shaw. Um, didn't really do anything inherently awful, but didn't really wow me. And I think I just want to move up the midfield because lower above, again, the same thing with Allo I was saying. You know, but I don't think there's an above average in him. With these two, Scott McTominay and Fred, there's not even an average in them. They're just not good enough. They're not good enough. I mean, starting with Fred, £60 million appeared from again, wasn't it? From the Ukrainian league. Oh, God. God, this man's a donkey. 
He is an absolute donkey, honestly. He's clueless. He's up. This man is clueless as a centre midfielder. It's the same thing with both of these. Like, what do they do as midfielders? Like, what is their. What do they do? Do they double pivot? Do they sit in? Can they advance the ball forward like a Rice or a Phillips? And also still play a role as a defensive mid? I don't know what to do. They just seem to lose the ball and look and look uncomposed to me. That's all they seem to do. But I mean it's it's Scott McTominay who is just way worse. Like seriously, like move like on the ball. On the ball again, it's like De Gea. He doesn't know what to do with it. He seriously doesn't. He's a he's a man who just looks who just looks out of his he just looks out of his skin as a as a footballer. He looks out of place. He shouldn't be there. He shouldn't be there. And he shouldn't be in Man United because, honestly, these two don't start for anyone inside the top 10. And probably even moving further down, the moving down the the, the, the league. Like, these don't get in the Southampton's team. They don't get in the Wolves' team. I don't think they get in the Villas' team. They don't get in the Brighton's team. They definitely don't get in the Palace's team or Newcastle's. Like, there's, they don't get in the West Ham's, so many, like, I, I just need to keep, go- I just need to keep going, because, like, they don't, they don't get in the many midfields in this team, I don't think they get in the, they might, they, I don't think they even get in the Brentfords, like, it's, it's, it's baffling, it's baffling how bad these two are, it's crazy, like, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer is gonna repent for his sins at the gates of hell forever digging up Scott McTominay. Seriously, like he, the fact that the fact that so the fact that he's been playing at these lot for five years now consistently is crazy, crazy. Serious, just like not good enough. Um, moving on to that front four as well, though. I mean, starting off with Christian Eriksen, who I just felt sorry for that game. The only player who looked asked on that pitch, like, oh my life. He was literally deeper than McTominay and Fred for most of that game. He was out a track back. You had you had your number ten playing a box to box. He didn't have a chance to create or attack a goal at points because he was having to come back and defend. Simple as he was he was chasing the ball. Which he shouldn't be doing. He shouldn't be doing. Simple as. <laughs> You've got one of the most talented players in the league right now. Having to do defensive duties like that, it's it's not good enough. Again, the game plan just wasn't there. And even then, like I, I was mentioning, uh, you know, I mentioned where Ericsson was for most of the game. The positioning for most of the team was just jointed up front because obviously with Ericsson dropping in, you're gonna have the rest of the, the rest of the lads just sort of swarming around everywhere. You know, you had Bruno starting out on the right, he was moving in central, and again wasn't doing much, missing absolute sitter. Like he's not a player that people think he is. He he really isn't. He's he's not all that. He's not all that. Simple as. You had Rashford, who started as a nine, I'm pretty sure, but was drifting out to the left and was just trying to cut inside. I mean, again, he looked like he was trying a little bit, but the end product wasn't there. You had Sancho, who was just isolated out on the right by himself because Dallow was absolutely useless going forward and had absolutely no support from the midfielders. So... Reeves just didn't have a just didn't have a catch chance in L of getting a goal, and we only got to go through a through a McAllister own goal. So 
yeah. All in all, Eric Ten Hag. <laughs> Welcome to the Premier League, mate. You're in for a bumpy ride. If you can... You need to sort this out, though. He needs to sort it out. Like, the fact that he's haven't signed a defensive midfielder for so many years is beyond me. They've not had an adequate one since Matic was good enough. Like, since Matic was still able to move around a football pitch with decent pace. They've not they've not had a good enough one. They tried to play Pogba there. Didn't work. They've got these two donkeys right now. Definitely not working. He wants to sign Frankie de Jong and play him there. But Frankie de Jong's not a six. He's not a DM. He wouldn't work. Like it, it, Again, it wouldn't work. It just would not fit. You can't... Frankie de Jong does not have the... He doesn't have the capabilities or ability, the capabilities to become the six that money that need, in my opinion. And I think trying to turn him into one would just ruin him as a player. Completely. So, my advice to Eric Ten Hag, get off this, get off this transfer saga bandwagon, mate. It's been going on for a month. It's obviously not going anywhere. Take your money and business elsewhere. Buy a defensive midfielder who knows how to win a fucking tackle and can just hoof it long and just keep that keep that back line from getting exposed. And 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 get him in. And get him into the team. Simple as. But I would be worried as a Man United fan. I seriously would be. Uh just and I mean if you want if you want my opinion from an FPL standpoint, these are definitely a wait and see. Because I would not be flocking to these at all. And if I had Rashford or someone in my team like oh God, I would be genuine I would be considering a move. Seriously. So in the podcast now, um, just going to finish off on some questions. Thank you for anyone who has sent one in. Really appreciate you. Absolutely love yous. Um, starting off, I've got a question from the man, Nicholas. Um, promoted clubs. Anyone worth taking a punt on? I'd say the only three that I'd be considering right now is obviously the, the two cheap ones being uh, Nico Williams and Andreas. A lot of people already have these, to be fair. But, like I did mention Mitrovic, um, again, I wouldn't rush to him. I would not rush to him. I'd say if the form picks up, again, I think he could be a consistent player in people's teams, you know, like he'd be a player like, you know, if he's getting the goals and but he's got a tough fixture, you know, I'd still probably end up starting him just because if anyone's going to score, it's going to be him. So, yeah, I do think, think Mitro is, is a good option still. However, I would not rush to him right now. Uh, I don't think I'd do that. But yeah, him, Williams, Andreas, I'd say, are the only ones you should really be looking at right now. Uh, wait for the fixtures, or wait for good fixtures, or wait for the form to pick up, I'd say, for the for the other lot. Uh, at FPL, at average FPL, man, uh, why does Carrie Hain? Fucking hell, man. It is too early. I'm literally recording this. At, it, it's currently 20 to 10 right now in the morning. I recorded this last night, but I was very unhappy with it, how it turned out. So, yeah, um, it's getting recorded, edited, and posted all in the same morning. So, yeah, pray for me. Um, at average FPL, man, why does Harry Kane hate me? Mate, I could not tell you. He just couldn't buy a goal, bless him, against, um, against Southampton. He couldn't get a goal, assist, couldn't buy one for love, no money. Uh, bless him. So, yeah, I'm assuming you do have him. Um, I'd be ninety nine percent sure. You've probably already moved him as well to Holland. If you haven't, mate, unlucky. Uh, you might have to take a hit on that one. 
if you do want Holland for that uh, for that Bournemouth game, which again I did I did go over extensively. If you want if you want Holland, make that move, man. Go for it. And then a word from a co-host uh, from from down under at OGX Miller. How does it feel to be twelve points behind me, mate? It was an absolutely sleepless night on Sunday. Honestly, I just couldn't I just couldn't sleep. I was having nightmares over you finishing top one hundred k and me not. Uh, you know the fact that you're already top that you're already top fifty k or around there. Just it's making my skin crawl to be quite honest, mate. So yeah, these next thirty six games which you're gonna have us trembling and feel that you're just gonna keep beating us. So yeah, um, but obviously, I Miller does have the uh, the upper hand so far. It's one nil to him, head to head wise. Uh, but no, 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 I'm 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 fine with where I'm sitting at right now. But uh, I very well done to the to the co-host for a for a great opening week for him. So yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure a bit better than his uh, his last opening week as well from last season. So yeah, I'm I'm satisfied though. I'm satisfied. But that is gonna do it though, um, for the um, black and white FPL co- podcast. Like I mentioned, uh, don't think I'll be making a transfer this week. And then captaincy wise, I'm about ninety percent sure I'm gonna be going with Haaland. So yeah, keep that one brief, um, and take about what you will. So, so yeah, um, I do hope you all have enjoyed the first solo episode of the podcast. If you did, um, make sure to leave us a review. Uh, follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss a podcast. Also, fo- also follow us on Twitter, at Black and White FPL. Notifications on if you don't want to miss the announcements for the podcast as well. And uh, follow me on Twitter, at Alfie underscore Clark 12. If you want to see some shit tweets that might get you... I might give you a little laugh. Who knows? Um, but thank you very much for listening. I've been Alfie Clark. This has been Black and White FPL. And I will see you later. Bye-bye.